right, so we are making our way through Unit 6 of Jews, Israel, and Jesus. And Unit 6 is called Covenant. We're looking at various covenants between God and His people. So we're going to move into point F of Unit 6, and point F is the promise of the everlasting covenant. So in the next class, we will get into the details of the new covenant, but this is now the promise. There is a promise given throughout the prophets that God is going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel because they keep continuing in disobedience, rebellion, and failure, inability to maintain faithfulness to the old covenant, the Sinai covenant, the two-sided, if you, then I, they keep disobeying and God is not able to bless them in that covenant because of their own disobedience and sinfulness. So God says, I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel. So let's look at the promise that the prophets say about the new covenant. This is significant because a lot of Jewish people in the world today are not even aware that there was a promise of the new covenant. And part of that is because the rabbis have twisted the scriptures with the deliberate intent of disqualifying Jesus as the Messiah of Israel and trying to dissuade people or not even have the thought enter their mind that the claims of Christianity might be correct, that Jesus is the Messiah of Israel. So these passages are very important that we understand that the Old Testament prophets promised the everlasting new covenant. This is from the mouth of God. So the most notable reference to the new covenant is Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34. So let's read that first, starting with verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make I will make, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. So this is not going to be like the Sinai covenant, just like we said previously that the Sinai covenant was not like the covenant that God had with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This new covenant is not going to be like the Sinai covenant. We're at verse 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. Do you see that? Let me make sure that you saw that. The new covenant is not with Gentiles. The new covenant is with the house of Israel. It can only be new if it's making something else old. This is the new covenant between God and Israel. Israel. So let's read it again. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law with I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. So this is a new covenant. It is with the house of Israel, and God is going to be their God. He's going to forgive their sins. He's going to put 
a new heart within them. He's going to put his laws within them and write his laws upon their heart so that he will be their God and they will be his people. And I know you heard it with my voice. This is one-sided. This is a promise from God that he will, I will, I will, I will make a new covenant. I will do this for them. I will do this for them. It is a one-sided promise that the new covenant is going to come. So let's then look at Jeremiah 32. God continues speaking about this new covenant. Let's start with verse 39. I will give them one heart and one way, that they may fear me forever, for their own good and for the good of their children after them. If you remember, when we were talking about the Sinai covenant, God had tested the people of Israel by appearing in fire and smoke and cloud with thunder and the trumpet. And he said, this was the test so that you would fear me always. The fear of the Lord is a good thing. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is good for you. If the people of Israel had feared the Lord and kept his commandments, they would have been the most blessed nation on earth and would still be so to this day. So he's saying, I'm going to give them a new heart so that they can fear me the way that they should. And he goes on. We're at verse 40. I will make with them an everlasting covenant. Okay, there it is. So the new covenant is going to be everlasting. That I will not turn away from doing good to them, and I will put the fear of me in their hearts, that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good, and I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. So again, this new covenant is not based on the peace people's merit or obedience. God is promising a new covenant is coming. I will, I will, I will, I will. And part of this is that I will give you a heart to obey me for your own good. And don't miss it. I will plant them in the land that I promised to their ancestors, and it will be a great joy in the sight of God to plant them back in the land, making a name for himself in the sight of all the nations, planting his people back in the land that he promised to their ancestors with all his heart and soul. God is saying, I will, I will, I will do this. This is all part of the promise of the new everlasting covenant. Well, Isaiah also has a few things to say about this. He refers to it a little bit differently. The exact terminology of new covenant doesn't really show up until Jeremiah, but Isaiah makes references to a new new type of covenant or a new covenant that is coming because he's not describing the covenant from Sinai. He's not describing the law of Moses. So the first reference of these things begins at Isaiah 54. Now, why is that significant? We've talked about this before. If you were paying attention, Isaiah 54 comes right after Isaiah 53. What's Isaiah 53? That's suffering servant. The one whose soul is offered as an offering for the guilt and the sins of the whole world. It was for us that he is whipped and scourged. It is for us, for our transgressions, for our iniquities. But it is his sacrifice that makes peace. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us 
peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. That's Isaiah 53. Well, after that servant suffers, God goes into Isaiah 54, and he starts to talk about a covenant of peace. Who attained that peace for us? The suffering servant. What did Jesus say on his way into Jerusalem? Oh, if you only knew the things that make for peace. This is how God was going to establish a new covenant, a covenant of peace between God and man. So this is Isaiah 54, starting with verse 10. For the mountains may depart and the hills may be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. So that's another reference to it is everlasting. This new covenant after the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, there's going to be a new covenant and it's going to be everlasting. Well, let's keep going. Isaiah 59, starting with verse 21. Isaiah says, on behalf of the Lord, this is the Lord speaking, as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit that is upon you and my words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. So the blessing of the new covenant was going to include the outpouring of the Spirit of God upon those who were a part of the new covenant. The new covenant includes God is going to give them a heart of obedience. That's what Jeremiah calls it. Isaiah is referring to it as the Spirit of God and the words of God put in our mouths as we believe the new covenant that God has made between himself and his people. Well, Isaiah is not quite done. Isaiah 61, starting with verse 7. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. There's everlasting. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. So God is going to redeem his people. He's going to restore his people. He's going to bless his people so much that they will have joy for all eternity. God is going to make an everlasting new covenant with his people and redeem them, restore them, and compensate them for all the evils and afflictions that have come upon them. Well, let's keep looking. This is Isaiah 55. I know we're going back as far as the chapters are concerned, but this begins to show that the everlasting covenant will also open up to Gentiles, people who have not known the God of Israel. So this is Isaiah 55, starting with verse 1. Come, Everyone who thirsts, everyone, everyone, come, everyone, come. If you are thirsty, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. So what has God always wanted? People to listen. 
He's wanted people to listen diligently to him and do what he says. That's what God has always wanted. Why are you out there spending your money for that which will never satisfy you? Why are you out there drinking things that can never quench your thirst or eating things that can never satisfy your hunger? God says, forget all of those things. Come, I will give you water. I will give you food. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. We don't live by bread alone. We live by the very word that proceeds from the mouth of God. God is saying, listen to me and you will delight yourself in the things that will satisfy you. We're up to verse three. Incline your ear, incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. There it is. Everyone, everyone who thirsts, come listen to me. Listen diligently to me. Give me your ear. Come to me here, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, and your soul will live. These are the sure mercies of David. Now, David was not a perfect man. He was an adulterer. He was a murderer. He was not a perfect man, but he repented of his sins, and he drew near to God, and he worshiped God with all his heart and soul. So the mercies of David will be extended to all, everyone who comes to listen to God and draw near to him through an everlasting new covenant. We're up to verse four. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples. Peoples, that's the nations, and a leader and a commander for the peoples. That's not just the people of Israel. That is all the peoples of the world. We're at verse 5. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. So the people of the nations are going to run to the seed of David who would have an everlasting kingdom and cut an everlasting covenant with anyone and everyone who will draw near to him. It's a new nation of of people. It's not just the nation of Israel. It's a new nation that consists of people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. It's a people that were not a people. It's a people that had not received mercy, but now have received mercy. And God enters into an everlasting new covenant with them, granting them the everlasting sure mercies of David. The same mercy that David received, everyone will receive if they draw near in this everlasting new covenant. Well, Ezekiel also has some things to say about this. In Ezekiel chapter 16, God is speaking to his people about how they have been whores against him. And I know that doesn't sound like a biblical word, but read the book of Hosea and don't write me an email. God says very clearly people have been whoring away from him, committing adultery against him. But even Ezekiel, in the midst of all of that, Ezekiel prophesies on behalf of the Lord that God is going to establish a new everlasting covenant. So this is Ezekiel 16, starting with verse 60. 
Yet I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth. So the days of your youth are the days of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You'll have to read Ezekiel 16 to get the context on that. But the days of your youth are when God first called you. Those are the days of the patriarchs. He goes on, and I will establish for you an everlasting covenant. So there it is. Ezekiel also is saying there's a new covenant coming and it's going to be everlasting. We're at verse 61. Then you will remember your ways and be ashamed when you take your sisters, both your elder and your younger, and I give them to you as daughters, but not on account of the covenant with you. So again, that part, you'll have to go read Ezekiel 16 for yourself, but God is going to give the nations to the people that are are in this new covenant. We're at verse 62. I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall know that I am the Lord, that you may remember and be confounded, and never open your mouth again because of your shame, when I atone for you for all that you have done, declares the Lord. So there's that mercy. God is saying, you have committed many sins, but I'm going to atone for them, and I'm going to establish a new covenant with you, and I'm going to forgive all of your sin. And when this happens, you will be ashamed and confounded at what has happened to you and the love that I have shown you, because it's going to go back to a covenant like I had with the patriarchs, where people are restored to obedience just to my voice. That was the kind of covenant that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had. And it's not like the covenant at Sinai. There's a new covenant coming. It's going to be everlasting, and it's going to be a different kind of covenant where God forgives sin, remembers it no more, and atones for all that we have done so that we can receive the sure mercies of David. Well, Ezekiel's not quite done. He has a few more things to say about this new covenant that's coming. Let's look at Ezekiel 37, starting with verse 22. And I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. And one king shall be over them all, and they shall be no longer two nations, and no longer divided into two kingdoms. So remember, Israel was divided into Judah, the southern kingdom, and Israel, the northern kingdom. God is saying the days are coming, they're going to be one nation. Now, nowadays, in modern context, they already are one nation, so that's not such a shocking thing to say. But in the days of Ezekiel, that would be shocking, because for hundreds of years, it had been two kingdoms divided the house of David and the house of Jeroboam, or the house of Israel, which was the 10 tribes that split off from the line of David. So you've got your context there. So God is saying it's only going to be one nation and one king is going to be over all of them. We're at verse 23. They shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols and their detestable things or with any of their transgressions. So the people are going to give up idols and they're going to forsake their transgressions also. He says, but I will save them from all the backslidings in which they have sinned and I will cleanse them and they shall be my people and I will be their God. So do you see the determination of God to be the God to these people? I'm going to save them from their own disobedience. I'm going to save them from every time they obey me a little bit and then they take one step forward and fall three steps back. I'm going to save them from their own backsliding. I'm going to save them from their own sin. I'm going to cleanse them, wash all of their sin away, atone for their sin so that I can be their God and they can be my people. We're at verse 24. 
My servant David shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. So this is clearly saying that the ten tribes are going to be restored to the line of David through the house of Judah. That's what this is absolutely saying in case there's any confusion. We talked about that in other classes. This would have been a controversial, shocking thing to say, but God has made a covenant promise to David, and he is prophesying again that all Israel will be restored, and my servant David will be king over them. He goes on, and they will all have one shepherd. There's only going to be one shepherd over all the people of God. He goes on, they shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. Remember what Jeremiah said? God said, I'm going to write my rules and my statutes upon your heart. We're at verse 25. They shall dwell in the land that I gave to my servant Jacob, where your fathers lived. They and their children and their children's children shall dwell there forever. And David, my servant, shall be their prince forever. Now remember, David is long gone. This is hundreds of years after David has died. So speaking of David in these passages is speaking of the seed of David, the king who is to come. We're at verse 26. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will set them in their land and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. My dwelling place shall be with them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel, makes Israel holy when my sanctuary is in their midst forever more. So God is making a covenant of peace. He's going to atone for sin so that his people can be at peace with him. The covenant is going to be new and everlasting, and the seed of David will reign supreme as king and shepherd in the terms and context of the new covenant, this new covenant of everlasting peace. And again, it's one-sided. God is saying, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will save them. I will cleanse them. I will raise up. I will make the covenant. God is promising a new covenant that is yet to come. And lastly, there is a promise of the messenger of the covenant. We talked about this in prior classes, how Elijah must come first. Israel is anticipating the messenger of the covenant. They are anticipating the new covenant is going to come. God has promised it. Israel needs it. If they remain in the old covenant, they're just going to continue on in the cycle of blessing and curse and being an object of horror in the sight of the nations because God has to enforce the consequences consequences of the law that he has given. But they are eagerly awaiting the messenger of the new covenant who will establish this new covenant between God and Israel. Malachi is the one who speaks about this. Remember, Malachi was the last prophet, and then God went silent for four hundred years. So if these were God's last words, you would be eagerly waiting for that messenger of the new covenant to come. So this is Malachi chapter 3, starting with verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. That's the Elijah. That's John the Baptist, the one making the way for the one who is going to bring the new covenant. 
and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into his temple. So God himself, the Lord, is going to walk in to the temple of God. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Hallelujah. The Lord was sending a messenger ahead of the Lord to prepare the way for the Lord. That's Elijah. That's John the Baptist. And the Lord himself would then come into the temple and be the messenger of the new covenant that was promised. (music) 